important things of a leader that I should have mentioned, and it is certainly a learning, is that you cannot do everything. You can't be everywhere at once. And doing so will be, to, or to try to do so will be the to the detriment of the business that you are leading. Um, you have to empower and trust the people that you work with in order to run those departments um, and run it well. And yes, you need to keep an oversight and things like that. But trying to spread yourself too thin over too many departments, I have learned the hard way, it is not going to be good for the business nor yourself. Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Matt, how's it going? It's going well and fantastic. Well, good. I'm glad it's both and yes. not just one or the other. Yeah. Yes. Question for you. Bring it. Do you remember the last time a park, whether a theme park, amusement park, or really just any, any attraction in general, changed its name? Mm, I feel like there's got to be examples out there. I can't think of one off the top of my head, though. Well, I know you can think of one, but... Well, I can... <laughs> one that we'll biggest, be talking a lot today. The biggest one that I can think of from about 15 years ago was when Disney's Hollywood Studios... Uh, or when Disney MGM Studios became Disney's Hollywood Studios. Yeah, I should have thought of that one. And, and also, Universal Orlando Resort mm. was a number of different names. Remember Universal Escape? I do remember Escape. Yeah. Um, and, you know, at first it was just Universal Studios, Universal Studios Florida. So, yeah, I mean, there's a couple of those in there. But those are relatively related. Like the new name is related to the old name in some way. Right, right. And like all those instances are very few and far between anyway. And one of the things that I remember, because I wasn't living in Orlando during the escape to Universal Orlando Resort transition, but I we, we were both living there when MGM became Hollywood Studios. And I remember driving down I-4 or just driving around town or seeing brochures or seeing whether it was online, whether it was in real life, a lot of references to a park name that no longer existed. <laughs> I thought this has got to be such a challenge, mainly for the marketing people uh, to try to minimize confusion and tell people, hey, the park has a new name and we need to phase out the old name when you're getting off I-4 at that exit uh, while really bringing in and embracing the new name. I remember uh, the, the entrance sign at the park, I think was... Uh, I think they switched out overnight. Like that was really quick. But then there was so much residual impact of that name change uh, that it was, you know, it's it's an interesting challenge for uh, for a park to take on. Absolutely. You know, I've now that we're talking about it, I've thought of, of a couple more. Six Flags, you know, right. as they bought and sold some parks. Um, mm. There have been parks that have been owned by multiple owners, um, Elitch Gardens and even the old Joggle Lake. Um, so 
that type of thing I think happens. And you're right. I mean, it takes a lot of effort and energy to think about where all those names are, where those branding pieces are uh, to make sure that you catch everything. Yeah. I forgot about Geauga Lake, Six Flags, Ohio, SeaWorld, Ohio, Six Flags, Worlds of Adventure, Geauga Lake. <laughs> and then it was just Wild Water Kingdom. Yeah. 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 That probably is the most confusing park ever. <laughs> it is. It is. It, you know, may it rest in peace. Uh, <laughs> but our guest today is Charles Coyle. He is the general manager slash managing director uh, of Emerald Park, just outside of Dublin in Ireland. If you've never heard of Emerald Park, you may have heard of Tato Park, which is what it was called until just very recently uh, when the park switched its name. And we get to hear all about that process, uh, the whole rebranding, uh, why it was rebranded, the connection with Tato in the first place, and, uh, and, and the challenges of what it's like to not just, it's not just changing the name, it's changing the whole brand and identity of the park. Absolutely. And speak about someone who has been involved with the park since literally day one. Uh, Charles is that person. Uh, he and his father and I'm guessing other family members and and obviously a lot of other people were involved in building that park and creating the experience that you you see today. And to go from being you know, buying knives and forks when you're first opening the, the first visitor attraction to now being the general manager, managing director of the park and talking about the expansion into a legitimate park and zoo and, you know, destination. Um, to me, that was really fascinating to hear his story and how how all of that progressed through time. Yeah. And what's cool is Emerald Park is the only major amusement park in Ireland, which of course brings on a lot of advantages, but also a lot of yeah. challenges as well. So we can hear about how Charles has uh, engaged in the industry and, and been very active. And he gives a lot of great advice about getting involved with industry associations and you get out what you put into it and uh, and also how he's developed uh, not only his knowledge of the industry over the last 12 years, but also his leadership style as well. We also get to hear some of the growing pains that they've experienced and how they've overcome uh, some of those. I think a lot of times, as he says, we do learn a lot from failure. And if we don't have those failures, it's hard for us to kind of progress and figure out what those next steps are. Um, so it's great to hear some of those stories. Yeah. Uh, and then we also get to hear about the impact that his father, Raymond Coyle, made on his life. Uh, Raymond sadly passed away last year. And we get to talk about how Charles is really uh, continuing his legacy. And he talks about uh, the the impact that, uh, you know, that his father made on, on the park, as well as uh, how that will continue going forward. So is it time to get to this interview with Charles? Let's do it. Hey, Charles, welcome to the Attraction Pros podcast. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks very much for having me. Absolutely. Wondering if we could kind of start off with a little bit about your history in the industry and sort of what it is that you do now. Yeah, sure. Well, um, where we, where I work is uh, now called Emerald Park. It was up until uh, the 1st of January, it was known as Tato Park. And we opened the 21st of November, 2010. So we're relative newcomers in the industry. So um, we're still learning a lot anyway, and um, I have been, I'm happy to say that I've been involved from uh, the start anyway. I think I started working um, when it was still a building site in September, I think it was, of 2010. Um, and uh, that was very much uh, all focused on purchasing and purchasing 
everything from knives and forks to plates and uh, things like that um, uh, and a whole range of different other stuff and over the years the role has evolved it's uh, transformed um, completely and I'm now um, somewhere between general manager and managing director <laughs> What's the difference between general manager and managing director? It's just the title. Uh, and, <laughs> and that is it. Like it's um, it's because um, uh, my father was managing director um, and uh, he's no longer with us. Um, I think the banks prefer to, ha uh, to have someone that they can give out to directly. So um, that's probably why, why I might be the managing director so they can shout directly at me. Hmm. <laughs> gotcha. So the buck stops with you. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about that experience of, you know, being there from the very, very beginning to now seeing a name change and kind of the evolution of the park? Uh, it's, you know, looking back on it now and the short period of time that we've had to where we are now, it's quite incredible. And it's actually incredibly fortunate as well, because when we first opened, we were just hoping to be an extension of the brand uh, for Tato uh, Crisps, uh, which is a snack food company, um, very similar to Frito-Lay and things like that. And it was just to be an add-on. Um, it was to really inform customers about um, Tato Crisps and things like that, and hopefully get, get some residual goodwill and things like that. Um, we kind of modeled ourselves off uh, the Guinness Storehouse in Dublin and also Cape Cod Chips in um, in Massachusetts. So um, that was where we started. And in a very quick period of time, um, we saw that there was a market for visitor attractions. And then we kind of said, well, you know, look at Hershey Park and some other big places like that. You know, maybe there is something more that we can do. Um, and it evolved from a extension of the brand with a packaged tour and a, a restaurant to a visitor attraction. And then really from um, August 2014 onwards, we started introducing mechanical rides. Um, uh, the first one was a ride that we called a rotator from SBF Visa. It's a big pendulum ride. And um, then in 2015, things really uh, stepped up a level with the introduction of a bunch of flat rides and uh, a wooden roller coaster from the gravity group and um it has just grown from there and it is covering a huge amount of area now and we're even developing a new six and a half acre land which is um the details of which i like to think are top secret but probably a lot more uh, <laughs> people know a lot more about it than uh, i'd like to believe but um you know that's happening at the moment, construction is ongoing. It's um, going to be ready for 24, hopefully around April, May 24, um, representing a 20 million euro investment. So obviously, for, certainly for us anyway, that is a massive investment. It will be the biggest one the park has ever done, uh, dwarfing the previous investment, which catapulted us um, in 2015. So fingers crossed it does something similar anyway. Yeah. So I know that we'll want to talk about kind of the, the rebrand and the move away from Tato Park to Emerald mm -hmm. Park, but I'm curious, actually, even going back to talk about the relationship with Tato to begin with, was that already pre-existing? Was that already uh, kind of your your family's business already? Or what was what was the connection there already? Yeah, so um, my father um, founded a snack foods company uh, in the late 80s and had grown it from what was effectively just supplying one of the, the local supermarkets here in Ireland with own label crisps 
to um, one of the big, uh, b- bigger companies. And the market leader was always Tato Crisps. And it was invented in 1954. It uh, had, when my father started the, the business, oh, 70, no, probably 80 to 90% of the snack food business in Ireland. Um, so it was a giant and it is known and loved by Irish people everywhere. The brand equity is just, it's up there with Guinness um, in terms of love and um, Irishness. So um, we eventually got the chance to make the crisps under license from Tato and from um, their the previous owner, CNC, which is a uh, Cantrell and Cochrane. It's a it's a drinks business mainly, um, and they had, they owned it at that time. And then eventually, I think it was yes, two thousand and five. We got the opportunity to buy it and. That was the time when banks would lend you any amount of money for any possible uh, idea that you had. So we just about got the money together uh, to to purchase uh, Tato Crisps and uh, then the crash came. So uh, not necessarily a good time to have a huge amount of debt, but uh, look, it it was a challenge anyway. And so that's where uh, things kind of snowballed to... um, Tato Park about four or five years after that. So that it, snack foods and crisps and before that farming was the family business. And uh, that's how we ended up um, in creating Tato Park. So as Josh mentioned, we do want to kind of get into the the rebrand and what that's been like. And before mm-hmm. we started recording, you said the hardest working people right now are your marketing folks and, and getting all that squared away. So can you talk to us a little bit about what that that process has been like? Um, well, it's been very challenging, probably a lot more challenging than we first realized. Um, but we announced the rebrand um, la- last March. It's coming up now on uh, 10 months. And we've really been working from that point. Um, then we announced the name. Um, forgive me, I think it was uh, October or September even, I beg your pardon. And... Um, We've just been working flat out really since from the when we decided the name, which was in the middle of July, on rebranding, new logos, new uh, signs, um, and as I'd mentioned, like it, we put Tato Park and Mr. Tato on everything, um, uh, and anything and everything it went on from a small little track train that we have to uh, a small junior uh, shop tower to some of the um, the boats in our um, super flume rides have Mr. Tato on them and things like that. So trying to rebrand all of those, change all the signs, um, it's it's incredibly challenging. And look, we'll we'll get it all done. Um, but I have no doubt that there we're, we'll miss a couple of things. Um, and it's um, look, fortunately, everyone that we're working with is. Is really helpful in in this. I mean, even the road signs, uh, the local civic body and the national roads authority, um, they're being very helpful as well and understanding and helping us to change all the signs and things like that. But um, and processes that would have taken months upon months upon months are a lot quicker because everyone knows what we're working towards and is you know being really accommodating and helpful. Yeah. Can we actually back up just a little bit and sure. and if you can expand more on the reason for the name change and moving away from Tato and, and the reason for the rebrand to Emerald Park? Yeah. Well, look, there's a bunch of reasons, but I suppose one of the main ones is that um, we are expanding uh, the 
park now with this massive big investment. And if we were going to ever change the name, now was the time to do it because we're hoping that we get a huge amount of publicity and a big uplift in attendance and things like that. So if you're going to do it, now is the time to do it at, or it will always be forever known as Tato Park. We also, as we're spending all this money, we want to be able to expand the attendance of the park. And one of the ways to do that is, of course, advertising. Now, we have never been able to advertise in the north of Ireland or in the, the rest of the UK because the name Tato was actually owned by a different company there. So we've never been able to advertise Tato Park, which is incredible when you consider the fact that 25% of our attendance, depending on the year, um, comes from uh, the north of Ireland and you know maybe two or three percent from the UK so that's all been PR that's all been word of mouth people living on the border hearing radio ads and things like that or when they're coming south seeing the advertising and things like that so there's a great untapped market there and I mean those are the two big reasons that we said you know what we're going to do it now is the time to do it and we'll take that plunge and also I mean one of the other things we have to consider is that, you know, people aren't coming to this park anymore um, for the name Mr. Tato. Indeed, they would have when we first opened, you know, they'd give it a, cha a chance. What is this? It'd be interesting to see um, a park uh, based around a, a, a big potato chip. Uh, uh, you know, what, what the hell is this all about? Uh, so they're not coming here now for because of that. They're coming, I'd like to think, <clears> because of the rides, the experiences, the attractions, and uh, just the day out that we offer families, which is, I, I think, unique to, um, well, to, to us here in Ireland. So those are the big reasons behind it. And there's a bunch of other small little reasons. But, I mean, we, we had a fantastic relationship with Tato Crisps, and we still do, and we're hoping to be able to... Uh, um, continue that relationship going forward. I mean, there are next door neighbors uh, as well. So, um, and they buy a huge amount of tickets off us a year. So they're they're a great customer as well. So we want to be able to continue that relationship going forward. So Charles, what's it like? And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you're the only theme park and zoo in Ireland. Is that correct? That is 100% correct. Yes. Okay. We're the only one. So. <laughs> Coming from the United States, I mean, there's theme parks and zoos and, and things all over the place, and that's great for competition, great to see kind of what other people are doing. I would imagine that there's benefits and challenges to being the only one. So I'm curious if you could kind of dive into that for us. Yeah, I mean, look, um, people would say, oh, Jesus, it, it, you're the only uh, theme park and zoo. Life is very easy for you, you know, but um, I wish that was the case, of course. But um, look, there are, of course, a huge amount of benefits in being able to say that. But I mean, Ireland is a very small country in terms of population. We have between five and a half and six million people on the island, which is the size of Greater Manchester or Greater Birmingham. So it, whilst we're the only one on the island, we are competing in a very small market with the likes of Guinness Storehouse, Dublin Zoo, which is a huge, huge uh, visitor attraction here as well, over a million people. Guinness Storehouse is nearly two million. Cliffs of Moher is huge as well. Um, and like to get from one end of the country to the other is nearly four and a half hours, you know. So, I mean, we're fortunate where we're located, which is just outside Dublin. So that's where obviously the main, uh, the major population center is. But it uh, it is challenging in such a small market because whilst Yes, we were this in 22, we were able to attract 730,000 people through the gates, which is our best year ever. 
trying to be able to do that with a fresh bunch of people nearly every year is very, very difficult in itself. You know, I mean, you could easily to, you know, use the example of the UK again, um, huge amount of parks such as Drayton Manor and West Midlands Safari Park around Birmingham, which has about five and a half million people around it. They could have a completely different set of people each year um, for 12 years without seeing the same customer again, if they wanted to from their, from their country. So there are a lot of challenges in that respect. Um, and I mean, we are effectively learning on the job and really we're learning on the job uh, in a, in a very brutal kind of way for the first two or three years until we started to get involved in more of the, um, the industry associations and things like that and being able to pick up tips and information and uh, things like that from all the various different other um, industry peers. Uh, and I mean, they have been hugely beneficial and open with uh, information. So that, that's been, that's been um, a, a huge learning curve for us there. But there are a lot of benefits, absolutely. But there, there is no shortage of challenges anyway. Yeah. One thing I'd like to maybe kind of piggyback off this question here is, as far as you personally over the last 12 years and two <laughs> months or so, is how you have really been able to learn the industry. You mentioned industry associations and resources like that. Uh, I know that we met through IAPA, the Young Professionals Committee, uh, but curious as far as, you know, how, how you've been able to really uh, kind of kind of learn about the industry while having just the only theme park in or the only amusement park in Ireland. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, look, like a lot of these things and like with a lot of uh, industry associations, um, you get out what you put into it. So, I mean, um, we would always travel to the shows, travel to various different uh, um, spring or winter, winter forums, network as much as we could, um, make contacts. Um, through those contacts, you meet other people. And the good thing about the association is um, irrespective of what the problem is that we are facing, someone else has already faced it and is more than willing to share how they overcame it. So it's really about getting involved, contributing as much as you possibly can, because, I mean, the first two or three shows and forums, you're wondering, what am I really getting out of this? What am I benefiting? And then it really, really starts hitting home all the seminars that are available all the networking opportunities. That's really how we went about doing it. It is just through hard work and getting involved. That, and if I could offer a tip to someone is just get involved as much as you possibly can with the uh, industry associations, whether it be IAPA or a little bit closer to home for us is BALPA, which is the British Association of Leisure Parks, Piers and Attractions. Um, and then our actual Irish one, the Association of Visitor Experiences and Attractions. And just Getting, getting stuck in and really contributing as much as you possibly can um, and you will benefit from it. Um, if not immediately, um, which most people do, then certainly down the line, you, you'll, you'll benefit from it. Yeah. Well, and speaking of associations, I feel like I'm in the presence of royalty because both of you have earned the Young Professional of the Year uh, Award. And certainly I've heard about it from Josh and what it has meant to him. But Charles, I'm curious what that award meant to you. It was when, when I got it, um, I think I was, yes, I was uh, in the middle of uh, self-isolation um, because I was a close contact uh, with someone with COVID-19 in 
oh, was it like sep- August or September, September, I think, of 2020. So not exactly uh, the, the the most fun of times. And I certainly wasn't able to celebrate it properly and certainly wasn't able to go over to uh, the show in Orlando to collect the award. But it, it certainly cheered me up anyway. But um, truthfully, uh, it, it, it was... It, it was a huge um, honor to, to get it, particularly when I look at the, the other people that um, were in, were up for the nomination that year and who have since won it and have pr- previously won it as well. Um, but it's not just saying my award, and um, I'm sure Josh will share in this that you know it's a, it, it's an award for everyone involved in the association. Uh, um, I, I mean, sorry, in the company as well, and everyone that works with you and has uh, worked with you in the past. So it's as much uh, for, for them as it is from uh, a personal perspective, because ultimately without um, all their great work and things like that, um, certainly the park wouldn't have done as well as it has. And I certainly wouldn't have gotten noticed and, you know, nominated uh, and uh, let alone won the award. Yeah. yeah. One of the things we're curious about too, and this kind of could be sort of a, a springboard here from Matt's question and kind of even tying into my earlier question of how you learned the industry is really about how you developed your leadership style over the years. Because naturally your leadership abilities is, you know, uh, probably played a, a strong role in you winning the award. Uh, but just over, you know, o- over the last decade, over the last 12 years, uh, you know, how have, how have you been able to develop as a leader within the park? Well, um, I suppose that uh, really has been um, influenced by industry peers and uh, the people that I worked with as well. I, I know when I first started, I was um, certainly a hell of a lot uh, less mature than I am now. And when the park was much, much smaller, that kind of worked. But as the park grew, I had to develop um, as a leader and as an individual as well and learn as much as I possibly could in a short period of time, but I was fortunate that as my ability to learn and grow um, happened, the park grew as well. So I was always just about staying on top of things and the leadership style was just about um, getting me through. Um, and, um, you know, it, it, was, it was fortunate that as I matured as a leader and as an individual, the park grew as well. But really learning from people that I worked with and looking at industry uh, peers as well and industry leaders in particular, there was a, a lot to learn there. And um, I was very fortunate that I got involved with the association to learn from industry peers as well. But um, also I was very fortunate that I happened to work with some really good people as well. And I was able to learn from them on the job. Charles, I'm curious if we could peel back that onion just a little bit and talk about what some of those lessons were that maybe you learned from your peers or other industry leaders, or maybe even some of those lessons you learned the hard way. Mm. Well, there has been no shortages of uh, failures and mistakes in the park. And I mean, you learn more from your failures than you do from your successes sometime. And um, perhaps that's why the park has uh, had a very good year. The last year, we've we've certainly had enough failures and uh, mistakes to to you know benefit from. But um, I think personally, um, the lessons that I've learned certainly are setting an example. And I look at some of the people that I work with in that respect, particularly my uh, my late father, um, 
some of the guys that are still here, uh, my colleagues there, and then looking at uh, in, uh, some other industry leaders, um, I could uh, name check a bunch here, but I'm not going to do that because I'll forget someone. And also the people that I do name will be mortified probably. Um, but um, they're always the hardest working bunch. And if you want your colleagues to work um, really hard, you've got to work extremely hard to try and set the example. There's no point in you coming in and not giving your all. And I suppose it was fortunate that it was my family business. So it, it was in my interest to, to work hard, but it was also, um, it was a great triumph uh, as a family, seeing how the business has done well. So I was always willing to work extremely hard, but also being mindful of others and their limitations and not expecting them to work as hard as you, of course, you want them to work hard, but not everyone is going to, uh, you know, work continuously for days upon days, um, you know, and not get, uh, they're going to uh, get the work-life balance a hell of a lot better uh, than you will. But you've got to be mindful of their limitations. But also one of the um, major learnings is, you know, is communication, you know, um, whether that is informing everyone of what the plan is with the park, what you're trying to do, or if it's simply talking to people about, you know, what you expect of them, um, is there anything that they're not clear on? Those simple, simple lessons that people constantly talk about and harp on about, for want of a better description, those are probably the the biggest and best learnings that that you can have. You know, um, the uh, you know the simplest uh, lessons are are often the best lessons as well. You know. Mm -hmm. Charles, you've talked about uh, learning from failure and particularly as the, the park has been uh, growing substantially in attendance over the last several years and how that can sometimes create some friction and, and some growing pains. Can you talk about what, what some of those growing pains have been that have led to some of those learning moments that led to those lessons that you were just sharing? Yeah, I mean, one of the the biggest uh, successes and also uh, failures happened in 2015 when we opened the wooden roller coaster um the attendance we had hoped um to get it up from i think it was about um forgive me it's probably slightly wrong but around 530 uh we, we were at about 430 up to about 530 550 is what we were hoping to achieve but we actually Apt, like blew it out of the water and went up to about seven hundred and twenty thousand in you know in such a short like three hundred thousand in one year so it was a tremendous success absolutely um but we really let our guests down um and the visitor experience is not what we would have wanted so we underestimated and undercooked everything that we did so um we did there was huge queues getting in the door. There was queues for food, for um, for buying wristbands at the time, which is what we were still doing. You know, tokens and wristbands got you on rides. Um, and then they couldn't get to um, into the shops, couldn't get to the concessionary outlets. Everything was just queue after queue after queue and a negative experience. And we suffered as a result of that. Um, our attendance took a big drop the following year. Um, and since then, we've been building it back up with, uh, constantly investing in not just rides but infrastructure as well and that it has actually been one of the big learnings that we took away from it um, particularly when we're moving towards this new development next year we have been really just scaling up everything from 
uh, ancillary rides, for want of a better description, like junior coasters and things like that, to additional food outlets, to improving the processes around that, additional infrastructure, toilets, Wi-Fi, everything like that. And it's all ramping up towards this so that when we open next year and hopefully have a big jump in attendance, we don't have a situation whereby we let our guests down again. I mean, that's just one of the big learnings that we had, but there have been a huge amount of other ones as well and uh, misstarts and mistakes um, and um, like the list goes on, but those are the, that's always the big headline one that we always, you know, step back and, and think, you know, are we doing enough for the guests? Do we have enough infrastructure for the guests? Are the support uh, services there for our guests and indeed for our staff as well? So th that's that was one of the big shocks. Um, and some would say that was a great problem to have. And in some respects it was, yes, absolutely. But we paid for it for two years after. We didn't really see the attendance getting back to where it should have been until 20. 18 maybe even 2019 and then we had somewhat of a pandemic in the middle of it you know so um we, we weren't able to uh enjoy the, the high numbers again for really until uh until we were able to reopen uh, in the second half of 21 you know that that situation you describe i think is something that everybody worries about right of course you don't want to let your guests down and then you've got this this reputation um the next year that you're you're still dealing with them I'm, I'm wondering if you can, you know, maybe give us a, an idea of what you did during that next couple of years to build back the relationship, build back mm -hmm. the trust with your guests to, to get them coming back. Trying to communicate with them to let them know that we have improved since that was challenging because you don't want to say, listen, 2015 was bad, but we're, we're better now, you know. It was really about ensuring that all the uh, – the experiences from that point on were a huge step up. So um, we, we managed to ensure that we were reducing queue time constantly with new rides that were coming in. Um, uh, we were reducing um, food waiting times and toilets and things like that by building up the infrastructure and things like that. And trying to communicate that in a, in, in a subtle way that um, whilst, yes, there's a new ride open, there's also uh, this and this and this opening as well um, to show that, you know, it's not just, say, a ride to get people in the door, but the, the fundamental experience has changed or improved as well. And it, it w has been extremely challenging. But in some ways, it, it's been rewarding as well that, you know, when you see people come in 22 and they haven't been here since 2015 and they're saying, you know, it's a completely different park. You know, it's changed so much. There's so much more here. That's always great to hear. Um, and I suppose you just have to um, look at uh, our visitor experiences and the scores there of our surveys and on TripAdvisor and other uh, review sites like that. And they are like, yeah, 2015 took a little bit of a drop, but since then they're, they're going back up. So it, it was challenging to communicate to guests how we have improved, but um, we're, we, we, ha we managed to get that through really from 2019 um, and onwards. So one of the things that I'm thinking about is that 
each time you iterate with growth and expansion that there's improvement to the processes. We talk about, you know, learning from those failures so that mm -hmm. it, it goes more smoothly uh, the next time around. But that also part of it, I would imagine, is that you acknowledge that there's going to be the unexpected, that there's going to be a, a surge of attendance that we hadn't anticipated or, or a lower attendance that we hadn't anticipated. So I see, I see, or I would envision it as being a balance of saying, we know how to do it better next time, but we also know how to respond when we acknowledge that things aren't always going to go our way. Would you agree with that? I would. I mean, think. look, you just have to accept and acknowledge that uh, irrespective of how well you plan and everything that you possibly do, there are going to be shortcomings. There are going to be failures. There are going to be times in which you weren't um, everything you would hope you would be to your guests and it's about how you respond to that. Um, that tends to be uh, one of the more tricky things as well and trying to communicate that to guests, it can, it can be very difficult as well that yes, we accept that we weren't perfect on this occasion but um, this uh, this is what we have done in order to, to change and like Specific uh, uh, getting into specifics um, it, it would always be a little bit difficult, a bit more easy to explain. But uh, we'd be here all day if that was the case. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Charles, I'm curious if we can switch gears just a little bit um, and maybe talk a little bit about um, your father. You've mentioned him a couple times as the as mm -hmm. the founder and and what his vision was. So, what's it like for you to now kind of being uh, carrying the torch, if you will, and moving that into the future? Um, well, it, it's challenging anyway, that's for sure. But we're fortunate that um, we have a fantastic legacy in order to uh, carry on. I mean, uh, what he built here in the middle of a recession, in the middle of a field, in a rural area is uh, quite remarkable. Um, and it's funny in some ways that we had the best attendance we ever had in, uh, in, what, uh, in, in last year when he passed away. Um, and he would be so incredibly proud to see um, that. But also, we know, uh, like, we, he was very involved in the, the the design and implementation phase of what we were doing for the new land next year. Um, unfortunately, as well, we hadn't decided on the exact name by the time he had passed away, but we had gotten it down to a short list of about five names. And he looked at him, he said, look, I like all those. I like this one better than that and all the rest. But what I want you to do is I want you to do some uh, research with our target market and uh, come back to me with what they, uh, they said. Now, unfortunately, he wasn't uh, um, still with us when we got those uh, that uh, by. But it was great to know that he had given his uh, approval to one of the five names. And one of those, of course, was Emerald Park. But... It's, it's great that this uh, project that is carrying us through 23 and indeed through 24, he was very involved in all that. I mean, he his fingerprints are very much all over it. So it's, it's great to be able to carry on the legacy and ensure that his dream is, is fully fulfilled. Um, but it's also um, a time now to, uh, to uh, start taking it forward as well, because no sooner will we have opened this new land that we're going to have to decide on what we're going to do for 25 and 26 and things like that and start putting the project in place. But it's uh, it, it, I wouldn't say it's a burden. Um, it's certainly a privilege anyway, you know? Yeah. 
with all of this in mind, what do you envision Emerald Park looking like 10 years from now? Um, hope what I would like to think is that um, we're either close to a million uh, guests uh, a year or that we're very steady around 900,000 or so. It's always going to be a challenge when we're, you know, we're in the middle of a rural setting to be able to get to a million people when the population of the country is, as I mentioned, relatively small. But we've got uh, some more rides and some more experiences. We have a, a hotel on site um, and we're potentially even looking at some, at some more indoor attractions, whether that be uh, water-based or not. Um, and the park is um, doing well visitor-wise, but is uh, continuing to offer value for money and uh, uh, to be able to continue to give guests a great experience because that is ultimately what uh, Tater Park and now Emerald Park was always. It was about visitors having a good experience, value for money, not having to go to other countries in order to experience the what, what we're offering now. Um, and that may seem like, you know, a bit of marketing fluff and things like that, but that genuinely was what we were kind of founded on. Yes, it was all, it was an extension of the brand initially, but it was also about those things as well. And the fact that nobody else was doing it, wouldn't it be a great idea if we did it? And then we realized how much more difficult it was when we started it. But um, that's hopefully where Emerald Park will be in uh, 10 years time or there, thereabouts anyway. Yeah. And so now going back 10 or 12 years, um, thinking about where you started, was this always something that you wanted to do? I mean, you were relatively young, I think, when when you kind of started that process. Um, I would be lying if um, I said that I envisaged myself doing this uh, in 12 years time when I was uh, 22. Um, no, I had absolutely no idea what I wanted <laughs> to do. Um, there was like two or three things bouncing around in my head. Uh, joining the the army was uh, on the list uh, uh, you know joining um, a company that involved in sales that are not too far from where we are at the moment that though that was on the list and I just kind of wound up doing a bit of work um, for my dad um, in putting this together and I was like wow this is actually this is rather enjoyable I kind of like this and the experience and the buzz of people coming in and seeing how a business is growing I'll do this for another year. And um, <laughs> here I am 12 years later. So yeah, um, it certainly was not uh, was not on my list. I always loved amusement parks and things like that. And um, anytime I went to them, it was always a huge highlight, but never, ever, ever thought that I would end up working in one, let alone um, uh, being the general manager of, uh, of one here in Ireland. Yeah. Do you think you would have been in the snack food business? In, in potato chips and crisps? Oh, um, I I honestly don't know um, because um, we have since sold our interest in the snack food business. We're no longer involved in it. And I don't know. Um, it's the honest God's truth. People have asked me that before and, and, you know, it's always been the same answer. I'm not sure. And then from time to time, it would be like, no. And then it would be yes, because um, it's a great company to work in. But um I, I really don't know. Um, so fortunately, I found myself uh, uh, working here anyway. Yeah. 
one of the things that kind of gets back to your leadership a little bit that I just, the question just popped into my head is, you know, a lot of times as people come up through the industry, they come up through certain departments, right? You know, maybe you go through marketing or operations or food and beverage. Now that you're general manager slash managing director, um, are there departments that you have more experience with that you um, maybe gravitate toward, or have you found it relatively easy since you've been around so long to really be able to spread yourself over all the different departments? Mm. Well, try, uh, you're naturally going to incline towards the uh, departments that you enjoy a bit more. And for me, that's operations. Um, I enjoy operations and I uh, have worked in operations for quite a long period of time. But the I think one of the important things of a leader that I should have mentioned, and it is certainly a learning, is that you cannot do everything. You can't be everywhere at once. And doing so will be, to, or to try to do so, will be the detri- to the detriment of the business that you are leading. Um, you have to empower and trust the people that you work with in order to run those departments. Um, and run it well. And yes, you need to keep an oversight and things like that. But trying to spread yourself too thin over too many departments, I have learned the hard way is is not going to be good for the business nor yourself. I mean, I'm fortunate that I never burnt out or anything like that. But um, I know people that have um, by doing exactly what I was doing and told me to beware and don't do that. And of course, I went ahead and, you know, knowing that uh, I knew best, um, went and did those things. So um, you will always gravitate and get involved and stick your oar in um, where and things that you enjoy most. But you got to trust the people that you work with to do a right job, to do the good job as well. Like, yeah, uh, that's fantastic leadership advice. Thanks so much for for sharing that. So uh, in the few minutes that we have left, I have another question, bit bit of an oddball question. If I all if right, <laughs> just sharing here. In the process of going through the rebrand and and looking at all the list of names that were submitted, are there any that you're open to sharing that, um, well, maybe they were strong contenders or maybe they were just so obscure that they never made the cut, but they were worth remembering? (laughs) There are some, but they're... Now I look at them, they're so embarrassing. I don't, I, I, I'd rather <laughs> never even think of them again, like, you know, um, and I will hope that I will take some of those to the grave with me because I just thinking about them now, it's like, what were we thinking? Like, and like, it wasn't just us and, and it was focus groups as well. Um, um, staff focus groups, guest focus groups and marketing agencies. Um, and you know, we paid people some uh, ideas uh, for some ideas and things like that. And genuinely, the best ones that we had were uh, and where the name actually came from was uh, a staff focus group. The very first focus group we did um, in like February or March um, of last year, it was in that first focus group that the name came out. Um, so we could have saved ourselves a lot of hassle and a lot of bother <laughs> if we just went from there. Like, but. Uh, yeah, no. There, you had to get through things. all of that to get back to the. Uh, you, you know what, Josh? You're 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 100 <laughs> right. Uh, unless we had gone through all the muck and drivel, um, we would have realized wouldn't have realized just how good the name was when when we when we finally had it. Like you know. And the the, the emerald that's really related to Ireland anyway, right? 
Yeah, of course, like emerald is a, is, is a gem and it's a color as well. But Ireland is known as the Emerald Isle. So, I mean, that was important as well to uh, be inclusive of the entire island and not just, say, the Republic of Ireland or the North of Ireland. The whole, um, we wanted to be inclusive to the whole of uh, the country, the island even. So um, that was one of the determining factors actually in it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, it's definitely very fitting. I was very excited the day that it was announced because I think it was probably a couple weeks after uh, after we met in London at the IAPA Expo, and it was after you had announced that you were changing the name, but it was before the name was announced. And I think yeah, you said yeah. it was only a couple <laughs> weeks away or so. So um, yeah, it was uh, uh, it was exciting that the day that uh, the day that that story was published, that that news was published. So um, and uh, and uh, yeah, it's uh, going to be a very very exciting uh, 2023 season with uh, with all the changes. Best of luck to your marketing department and, uh, <laughs> and everything that they have to go through, uh, Charles. If people want to learn more about Emerald Park or if they want to get a hold of you directly, where would you send them? Gen uh, EmeraldPark.ie is the best starting point. Uh, we have a holding page at the moment um, and. In the middle of February, uh, date is still a bit fluid at the moment, as I'm sure you can understand. Um, we're going to be launching the full website, but that is the best place to go. That's where everything will be coming, for, uh, will, will be published when uh, everything is ready to go. But also our Facebook page and Instagram page are great for day-to-day -day information as well. Um, and just Emerald Park um, in either of those uh, will, will get you where you need to be. Awesome. Charles, well, this has been a fascinating conversation, learning about you, learning about uh, Emerald Park. So can't thank you enough for your time. And for everybody out there who's watching and listening, just remember, we are all Attraction Pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.